It is another step towards perfection for top-seeded Gonzaga. On to the Elite Eight. They dominate Creighton. 83 to 65. It's BetQL Daily with Joe Ostrowski on the BetQL Audio Network. BetQL is here to help you beat the sports books. Use our promo code daily for 20% off any subscription. Get started today at BetQL.com. Also available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. Promo code daily for 20% off any subscription. Joe Ostrowski and Preston Johnson here on BetQL Daily. Weekdays 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the BetQL audio network and let's bring in dallin cuff talk some college hoops follow him on twitter at dallin cuff espn acc college basketball analyst dallin uh is your basket busted or you're still looking all right with six teams left joe i laugh because my bracket is just so destroyed i can't even explain it uh bankroll's been okay though my plays have been all right but my uh performance in the bracket is pretty much a disaster See that, that I think that's as long as the bankrolls are right. That that's more important. I, I found over the years that I care less and less about the bracket, especially with so many different ways to to bet the tournament. Without a doubt, there's so many different ways to bet the tournament. But uh, hold on, one <laughs> sorry, my daughter's uh, she, she's dying to watch a certain episode of Mickey Mouse, so we're working on getting there here. Uh, okay, over. So I'll step away for a second. No. Thank you. Yeah, there there are a bunch of different ways. I mean, especially now, I like when we get to this point of the tournament, too, where we can start putting some prop bets in there. Yeah. Um, obviously, Vegas doesn't put many on the board because there's just so many games, but um, I like that angle as well. Uh, I mean, it is fortunate that I don't get paid based on picking the brackets because, like I said, that did not go well. <laughs> um, but I think some of the angles you can play and the unfamiliarity of the tournament also in terms of the teams impacts some of the, the, the performances as well. And the biggest try that we've seen have been the unders and just a lot of teams not being able to to score uh, for multitude of reasons. Sometimes defense is better, sometimes different environments. Um, a lot of times teams have advanced, the upsets have, have, have you know gone through. And it's, we saw like last night, I mean, Houston is just better on a different level than Oregon State is defensively. Offensively, they're, they're, they're more comfortable, but you realize Oregon State really, it was a labor for them to score and they got it somewhat tight, but it was never, I never thought the issue was in doubt with the Cougars though. We, uh, scoring has been an issue a lot in the first half o- over the last few days as well. Um, you, you mentioned that there's a lot of different reasons, and I think that's important. We want a, a, a nice, tight narrative, right, to be able to say, okay, this is the reason why every year you hear about the Final Four. Oh, the shooting background, it's going to be low scoring. Uh, take the first half unders. But but you're saying just throughout the tournament, the reason – there isn't any one reason. There's a bunch of different factors that have come into play, right? A hundred percent. I do think it is. It's whether I mean, unfamiliarity when you're not used to playing against different teams, that hundred percent matters. You, you, you're trying to figure out what they do, what you do, and you're trying to make more in-game adjustments versus when you game plan for league league games, you pretty much know exactly what your opponent's going to do. It comes down to a matter of execution. When you've seen it before, guys are calling up the plays in advance. Like, you know, you know what your opponent's about. When it's out of conference, you don't know that much. So as a player and as a coach, you're trying to feel your way to the beginning part of the game. And sometimes that can have that kind of struggle. I think the environments, too, have been a little different from talking to a lot of guys. You know, um, you don't have that much time to go work on your game additionally. You know, you get your, like, 45 minutes to an hour of gym time. You maybe can get 15 minutes of extra shooting if they cut into some of that, and you get a little workout. And this is very different than other years where you actually just have these full, you know, repertoire of your own facilities. You know, this is a very different thing. Buddy Behan the other day said that, he almost seems like he was in prison. He's like, yeah, we get to go out to the yard for, for an hour today. I haven't seen – I've been outside in a week. <laughs> to the yard? He's like, yeah, we get to go play, maybe some badminton, kickball. Um, so it's, it's, it's 
funny that he, he didn't mean it in a, that much of a derogatory manner, but it is the case that everything is different. And your rhythm is, not, is a little different. Your opponents are different. Uh, the setting is different. I think we have seen just teams struggle to, to, to get buckets as much as, you know, maybe not even in past tournaments, but this year seemed as, as uh, more prevalent. You guys are right, too. The first half unders have really come in uh, strong, to say the least. Uh, as far as the games last night, we'll, of course, get to the winners, the teams that moved on to the Final Four. Uh, but what was more surprising? I'm, you, you had both games where the winner got out to a big lead. Houston, it was 17. Baylor out to 18 points. But Oregon State tied that game pretty late. Arkansas made their run pretty late. Which one was more surprising? Um, it all honestly, Oregon State isn't that surprising because, like I said, Houston can't – they struggle to score. And if you can clean up your defensive glass, you know, that's you, – you can, you, can, you can come back in a game when you go down against them. As long as you clean up your glass, you're going to be okay because they're not a very good offensive team in terms of shooting the basketball. They're, they're, they, they're tough, they're physical, they work hard, um, but they don't, they don't have a ton of threats outside of Quentin Grimes to just consistently make shots. Um, whereas Arkansas was – because man, dude, Baylor, we, Baylor is good. It was on display last night. I think last night also displayed why upsets are fun, but we you do want to see some of the best teams play each other because that game was a way higher level basketball game. More guys that can make plays offensively and defensively, um, and more a play, game played at a better pace. And, and I think Arkansas able to, in we talk about not being familiar with an opponent, the first seven or eight minutes they didn't they didn't understand how physical Baylor was going to be on the defensive end how much they get in you, and then how good they are offensively and how much they can just beat you off the bounce. And it, it, at first, they weren't switching screens and they were getting caught up with some ball screen issues and guys were getting wide up with looks. And Baylor was playing in a complete rhythm. I was really impressed with Arkansas's way to claw back into that game just to begin to up the, to ratchet up their pressure defensively and, their, and, the, and then physically understand what it's going to be like on the, on when, they're, when they have the ball and how these guys are going to make them feel you. They're going to get into you and it's going to be difficult. And they adjusted well. I know Moses Moody, the freshman, didn't have his best day, and that's somewhat understandable, but there were a bunch of guys that played well. I was somewhat surprised Eric Musselman waited so long in the second half to stop switching screens because they started switching a lot late in the first half and into the second half, and that isolated a lot of whether it's Davion Mitchell or Butler, they, particularly Mitchell, I mean, he was outstanding last night, but they were isolating whether it be Jalen Williams or Justin Smith on, a, on one of those guards. And usually, whether it was SEC player or many different teams across the country, those guys can guard those dudes. Baylor guards are a little different, especially Mitchell and Butler. So I, I would, at, late in the game, about seven minutes, six minutes left, he went back to kind of hedging and getting back and trying to keep a guard on a guard, and that helped them a little bit. But I was a little bit surprised at that adjustment and then to, to readjust because it wasn't working as well. Um, it, it was a little slow, a little not as quick on the draw. But his team did battle back and made it more competitive. Um, but, again, I never, thought, I never thought the issue was in doubt for either team that commanded the game. Even when Houston got tied late, I just didn't think Oregon State was going to be able to pull it out. Um, I, I thought that Baylor controlled that game by, by and large for the most part. Dallin, looking again uh, to tonight, then the game we have the action in USC Gonzaga particularly interests me. We were talking about it earlier. There was the Kim Palm tweet right after USC finished off Oregon. He says Gonzaga is the best two point offense of all time now, going up against the best two point defense in his grades of all time in USC. So, I mean, like in, in football, for example, this day and age, good offense usually beats good defense. But how do you see and which one do you see ultimately, you know, winning out in this matchup? Well, if it was if it was just good offense for Gonzaga, then I would be a little more concerned. But I think we do forget that they are top 10 in the nation in adjusted defensive efficiency. They do get out and, and, and turn guys over. They speak, they make you play sometimes at a faster pace than you're comfortable with, which helps them, you know, force some quicker shots and then they can get going the other way. Uh, they'll take some risks. They're, they're not a bad defensive team. They're, they're a pretty solid defensive team. We just don't talk about it because they're so good offensively. 
Um, how I think see this playing out is yes, USC is going to give them a lot of problems. And primarily where Gonzaga has dominated games is they're able to get in the paint. And yeah, Drew Timmy can score down there in the paint, but they don't really rely on that or give him the ball the time on the block. He plays throughout the, he plays with flow like everybody else does and can operate away from the basket. They just get downhill so consistently in the lane for drop-offs or finishes or in transition, obviously, that, that still counts as a point, paint, uh, point in the paint as you're out in transition, laying it up or dunking it. Um, so I think USD will pose some problems, whether it's the man or the zone they play, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them play a fair amount of zone just and mix it up, too, just to get, keep, try to keep Gonzaga out of rhythm. Uh, but their length and their athleticism, their ability to contest around the rim will, will change this game. The, the problem, though, is can USC score enough? And USC has been shooting lights out recently, no doubt about it. And I did say, I said last week, I think they were the most undervalued team in the tournament before they went and throttled Gonzaga uh, and then beat Oregon. That, that said, you still got to, you got to score. You got to beat these guys in the eighties. I don't think you can beat them in the seventies. As good as their defense is, the pace this game's probably going to be played at. You're, you're going to have to get to 80 points plus. And I'm not sure they can do that. Uh, I, I think that unless they shoot where they shot the last couple of games, which is 10 of 17 from three point line, which is 59%. That's not really sustainable, but if they get one more game like that, then they, they got a shot, but they got a score. And that's where I think I, I question them a little bit because their offense, they don't really have a guy you can just give the ball to. He can go create something for himself or his teammate. You know, whether it's Peterson does a good job working up each other, as does White, both the Mobleys, but it's not like you can give it to Suggs and say, go give me a bucket because they, you know, not there, there are other teams, whether or give it to Jared Butler or Davion Mitchell, go give me a bucket or go get somebody a bucket. It's, they, they don't really have that guy. So I really wonder. When it, when it gets tough and they need plays, can they make them and can they score enough? With Dallin Cuff, ESPN College basketball analyst on BetQL Daily, what's your play for the uh, Gonzaga-USC game? It's funny. We were just talking about the first half unders. Uh, I'm not going to stay in the under, but I, I'm going to take Gonzaga minus five into break, and here's why. I do think there's going to be an adjustment period. As most teams that play the Zags, you get caught on your heels at some point in the beginning, beginning part of that game. Uh, you're trying to figure out the pace. You're trying to stop them. Granted, USC, as we just said, is a better defensive team, but I do think they're going to have a bit of a control in the first half. And they are so good, guys, at going in. And they've only trailed twice this, in this year at break. They trailed the WVU by four and the, and the BYU by 12. They won the BYU game by 10 and the WVU game by five, I think. Um, but they're great at closing out halves with a flurry and finding a way to either, if, they're, if it's a real close game, to create separation by three or four possessions, or if it's a two or three possession game, to blow it open to 10 to 15 and to really kind of demoralize their opponent. Uh, I think it's one of those games where they can have one of those flurries late or control the game for most of the time and go into the break up, you know, six, six, seven points um, as UNC, USC may try to make some adjustments and change some things in the second half. So that's my play on the game. Um, we'll see what happens live as things are going on. There obviously you know, other things could be tossed in there. I do really like Jalen Suggs plus 13 and a half too. Um, I think when you look at when you look at his season, anytime they played one of these bigger opponents where he's even played over 32 minutes, he usually exceeds his average, which is 13.9 points per game. Um, and I think he's going to have to be an influential character in this game. And I think he will be. And I think we'll see, as we saw in this game, or we saw in Iowa, and we've seen a bunch of different games, again, against the higher level teams where he needs to step up. He kind of loves that limelight and loves that, that opportunity. So I, and then they're going to need him at times to break down guys and get in the lane and create for himself or his teammates. So I, I anticipate him having a big game over his 13 and a half. I'm contemplating to the assists. I think assists are like three and a half. I still think they're going to be relying on him at times, but that may be a good prop as well. Uh, Preston is worried that his UCLA squad has been a bit too lucky uh, on this run here. How do you gauge this Michigan-UCLA matchup? I, I, they, they haven't been lucky. They've been good. They've had some good fortune, <laughs> no doubt. But I think that, I think that runs out um, with Michigan. I just think it's a really tough matchup. And, and Michigan is playing at a really high level, despite not having Isaiah Livers as much as I thought that would affect them. Um, and as, as much as I, I thought. I mean, and 
And it is cliche to say when you lose a guy that's that critical to your team offensively and defensively, the straight spacing he provides with the shot making, the size he has, uh, and his leadership. But every guy has to step up to fill that void. And really, every dude has. Franz Wagner was outstanding in the last game. Brandon Johns, who's directly replaced him in the lineup, has been great. Eli Brooks and Mike Smith have elevated their game, been more efficient, made more shots, made more plays. Shondi Brown. You can go to, I'm going down the list because everybody has played better. And I think that this team is in a pretty good groove. UCLA, on the other hand, uh, I know they want to play a slower tempo. It's going to be a half-court game. It's going to be a game of can we act, can you out-execute us? And I don't think UCLA can do it. Uh, I'm actually going to lay the points here with Michigan. I think they're going to have good control of this game. I think Hunter Dickinson, on top of all that, is a pretty big matchup problem for them. Despite Cody Riley played a good game last game, but he fit better into that game. He's not. I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to truly impact Hunter Dickinson. I'm interested to see how Mick, Mick Cronin handles that. If there's a double, if not, how they play the post. Um, a couple with how they guard some of these guys. What shot me both for, most for the Florida State game was Michigan's ability to just beat guys off the bounce. And I know Florida State's switching everything as they normally do, but they're still usually good at guarding their yard, and they, they really couldn't. So if Michigan remains that aggressive and is able to continue to get downhill against the UCLA team that's kind of weak defensively, um, I think they're going to control this game. So I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. And bear in mind, like I said, I've been wrong quite a bit. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I, I do think that Michigan's going to control this game. I've uh, got about 30 seconds left, Alan. So, I mean, three ones and a two after all that, all that craziness over the first few days, it, it's how the tournament <laughs> plays out most years, right? It's exactly right. I mean, that I guess that's what's good. We love a little bit of chaos. But when, like I said before, when it comes to the time when the championship's on the line, I do want to see those teams, the ones, twos, and threes next to their names because you know you're going to see the highest level basketball. You're going to see pros uh, and performing in the highest level and giving college basketball a great stage. And I think that's what we're, we're working towards here. Thanks, Dallin. Hope uh, we can catch up next week uh, before we get to Championship Monday or just afterwards, all right? All right, sounds good, guys. Dallin Cuff, at Dallin Cuff on Twitter, ESPN College Basketball Analyst. Yeah, I, I, we're, we're heading towards that uh, with these favorites moving on. And I don't think that's a bad thing, man. I mean, I, I'm not keeping your Gonzaga futures in mind. I'm just talking about the level of basketball that we're going to be seeing, be uh, witnessing on Saturday and Monday. I think people want to see Gonzaga-Baylor. They want to see Gonzaga-Michigan. Like- yeah. Who who can hang with them? Who has the best shot? I think USC could give them a punch tonight, but uh, ultimately, yeah, it would be a good setup for a good Final Four.